come a little closer, madam. I want to tell you about something your children will love. This is Ghouls Only Cast, a podcast about lesser-known films across all genres. Who wants to die for art? I told you, no more deaths in the house! Hi everyone, welcome to Ghouls Only Cast Fun Sized. So this is something that I'm going to start doing in between episodes because... When I started doing this, I felt like I would be able to just bang these out really quickly, and that's not the case. This is actually taking me a lot longer than I thought, you know, with all this stuff that's been going on for quite a long time. You know, I've just been kind of run down lately, so while it's taking me a little while to work on Perfect Strangers, I figured, you know, I would just have Connor on again. We're going to talk about two movies uh, really, really quickly. They will always be like tangentially related to each other, even if it's like only in a way that I understand. But this one is going to be pretty obvious. So a lot of people have been talking about this one online. So I figured why the fuck not? I'll do it too. So the new uh, Godzilla vs. Kong came out. And we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to be talking about something that we've been meaning to watch for a long time that is related to Godzilla, uh, North Korea's Polgasari. So thanks for joining me again, Connor. Yeah, happy to be here. Excellent. So let's go ahead and just talk about Godzilla versus Kong. I I think it's, you know, put it out there first. You and I are both huge Godzilla fans. Oh, yeah. Like, we have a big collection of Godzilla toys. We've got a lot of movies. We just kind of love Godzilla in general. So there's a new Godzilla movie coming out. We're, we're going to see it. Absolutely. And the thing is that you grew up with Godzilla and I didn't. I had toys, but I never got to see the movies until I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. Like when I was a little kid, I remember one of my favorite movies of all time being Godzilla 1985. With the Dr. Pepper? With the Dr. Pepper, yeah. It was the Roger Corman cut of it. So the, the American version that had like the random scenes inserted. But I just love that one. And to this day, like that era of Godzilla is some of my favorite stuff. My favorite Godzilla movie is Godzilla vs. Hedera. That's a very interesting one. Very trippy, very interesting. That specific style of 1970s um, like environmentalism, which was just all about trash. Like You weren't talking about climate or anything like that. It was just like, things are dirty. Let's clean it up. All right, so Godzilla vs. Kong, this was like the biggest movie of the pandemic, which is a low fucking bar. Yeah, it it is weird. Um, You know, we watched it on HBO Max like a lot of people did. I'm a little mixed on that because, you know, I definitely feel like it was a movie that would have been great on a big screen, but it was also nice being able to sit back relax at home and watch this movie yeah i like eating dinner and watching movies (laughs) yeah that's nice that's better than just eating popcorn i'm you know that's the thing that i'm really not looking forward to is going back to movie theaters and having that moment where you're all sitting in silence and you just hear people fucking eating popped corn oh yeah i fucking hate that shit but okay godzilla versus kong directed by adam wingard i haven't seen any of his other movies i have no idea Uh, His movies have been recommended to me, and I say, I'll get right on that, and then I forget Mm -hmm. almost immediately. I've heard that Your Next is really good. Yeah, but he did an okay job with this, so I'll give him that. Yeah, and so we have our stars of the movie. We have Godzilla. Uh We've got King Kong. We've got Julian Dennison, a.k.a. Ricky Baker, the little shit from Hunt for the Wilder People. He was the only human character I was really excited to see because I love Hunt for the Wilder People so much. I'm glad that we watched this at home because I yelled when I saw him. <laughs> I was like, it's the little shit. Uh-huh. If you haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People by Taika Waititi, you need to see it. It's a Great very, movie. very good movie. All of his movies are good. I think the only one I haven't seen of Taika Waititi's is Thor Ragnarok. And Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit yet. I don't do too well with Nazi movies, Mm -hmm. even if they're funny. But, um, yeah, we've got some other human characters. No one cares. Yeah, we've got um, a very, very young Kiera Knightley. (laughs) Or it might be Natalie Portman. Possibly Carrie Fisher. It's just that's one of the things that you notice when you start looking at actors and actresses and you see, like, God, all these people look the fucking same. There's a type. Yeah, like, all the Chris's look the same. There's, like, five actresses that look like Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, is Margot Robbie even one of these? Is she a real actress? I don't fucking know anymore. But, yeah, like, Millie Bobby Brown is just starting to look like Kiera Knightley. Mm-hmm. At least to me. Anything else you want to add? I have nothing to add to that because the human characters are so forgettable. It is kind of sad how forgettable the human characters are in this movie. Yeah. I mean, but the same time... Nobody wants to watch the fucking human characters because if there's too much monster action, people say, well, what about the human element? And then if there's a lot of people in it, people are like, where's the monsters? Like, you can't make everyone happy. The balance I would like to see them strike is less people, but when they're on screen, make that part good. Yeah. I feel like that's a good compromise. I feel like everyone, if if you're a human and you're on screen in a Godzilla commercial, you commercial in a godzilla movie you need to be doing like circus yeah. stuff the only human in a godzilla commercial is charles barkley and he was fantastic mm-hmm. so do you think we should just get into the plot really quick yeah of course all right well i think it's safe to say that we're going to spoil this whole fucking movie real quick i think it's worth noting some people might not be aware of this because it's a pretty obscure movie there was i did some research a previous godzilla versus king kong movie what? I know. Hmm. So, yet again, Hollywood's doing a remake because they have no original ideas. Typical. Mm-hmm. All they do is they make remakes and they traffic children <laughs> and they drink their blood. Okay. So, I, do, I don't actually believe yeah, that. Of course. But one of the characters in this movie probably believes That's that. That's true. So, with that, let's get into the plot. All right. So, it kind of starts off with King Kong, but it's the same opening as Shrek. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, like, I remember I was ready to hate this movie. Before we started it and you said, we should watch Godzilla vs. Kong tonight, I was like, fine. <laughs> you know, and, like, when you start it off, it's like he he wakes up and he's like, ugh, whatever. And then he's, like, walking and he's... He yawns, he, he yawns, scratches his ass. He scratches... A team of people worked on Kong scratching his hairy monkey ass. Yeah. I just, I feel like if this movie came out 20 years ago, All-Star would have been playing over it. Why wasn't All-Star playing over it? Because of Shrek. That's true. I it guess would have they, been too they, close they, to Shrek. Yep, they own that song now. Yeah, but then we find out that King Kong has been moved into a dome. Yeah, they they, they go over this very quickly, but <laughs> he he's now uh, King Kong, and his dome is his kingdom. Did they say that in the movie, or did you just make that I, up? Well... We're in Seattle. We've got the kingdom. Well, we had the kingdom. We did? Yeah. That, was, that... that was the old stadium. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, they, they briefly mentioned this, that like, so since the events of Kong Skull Island, which at this point in this movie take place like 50 years prior to this, mm-hmm. there's the storm that used to encircle the, the island has now moved into the island, killed everyone, and they've built this dome around Kong that like has an artificial sky that's just like LCDs and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and he just kind of lives in there. There's no real like saying how they got him there, but you kind of just have to go with it. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie where it's like just fucking go with it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You're going to have to just accept things a lot. In this yeah, movie. and I'll tell you right fucking now as soon as we finished the movie i was like okay what do other people think about that and in my stupidity i decided to go to reddit and Mm -hmm. see what reddit thought and it's just like oh my god i hate these fucking people because they just like nitpick all these little things like it's cinema sins yeah and it's just like it's a fucking monster movie Mm -hmm. why do you care so much about this yeah so we have kong and his kingdom and it's it's nice to see that he does use trees still as a weapon, yeah. like in the original Godzilla vs. Kong, but unfortunately not in the way that I would like. But we do get a reference to that later. We do. Um, yeah, so next we see, so we've, we've got Kong, we next see Godzilla, and this time Godzilla is actually attacking Pensacola, Florida. So I think this is the first time we've seen Florida in a, in a kaiju movie. Mm-hmm. Florida but, man. Yes, and he's, uh, he's attacking this... Um, so one of the things that's a recurring theme in this movie is there's this new fictional sci-fi dystopian company, I guess, called Apex, uh, Apex Cybernetics. And so Godzilla shows up and attacks this facility. Mm-hmm. In this facility, the the CEO is like an Elon Musk Al Pacino. Yeah, he. that's a really good way to put it. That's weird that that's what he is. And also we're introduced to like one of the main human characters at this point, which is this guy, 
he's a conspiracy theorist podcaster and he honestly to me feels like he's a character straight out of a Roland Emmerich movie like which is funny because Roland Emmerich made a Godzilla movie that didn't have one of these characters but so in Independence Day there was uh, Randy Quaid as like the crazy guy who believed in aliens yeah that's just Randy Quaid I know but that's what he was in Independence Day okay and in 2012 Woody Harrelson is like this uh pirate radio guy who's like the end is near and so he, he's basically that kind of character. He's on this podcast the whole time spouting these conspiracy theories about Apex, where he's the man on the inside trying to figure out what they're doing. And he's able to steal some information regarding this uh, secret project that they're working on that it seems like the public isn't aware of it. And he is a very low-level security clearance in this movie. I don't... like. I can't remember what he actually does. Like machinery or something like that. He's a maintenance guy. Maintenance guy, yeah. Yeah, so he is pretty much bottom of the barrel. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, there's this whole plot line about him. Uh, I, that I The only notable thing to me about that whole plot line is the fact that we do get Ricky Baker. <laughs> just to kind of get out of the way so we can stop talking about these characters yeah. like millie bobby brown listens to his podcast she's like i believe you and then they go off and do some stuff yeah yeah because i guess they had to have some connection to the last because there is kong's whole team yeah. that revolves around him so you need some people who are pulling for godzilla too even if it's just one person from the last movie, her friend, and some guy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they did feel like they had to have humans on both sides of it. Which King Kong sure. is the... He's the main character. Yeah, so that's another thing about this movie. Kong is definitely the protagonist, and even though I'm a Godzilla fan, I, I actually like that approach they took, because they mm-hmm. did make kong like a very sympathetic character oh i had tears in my eyes <laughs> at some points because they just made him um so human yeah to the point where they actually had him no sign language and you uh predicted that he would be able to do this like and we made jokes because was it like coco the coco gorilla, the gorilla. Would, would sign things like coco want nipple cat yeah. please yeah coco loved cats and nipples yeah wasn't there like a whole thing where where uh, the women who worked there would have to show their nipples to the gorilla? Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. But the higher ups were like, "That's what Coco wants. Show Coco, Coco your tits." Coco gets what Coco wants. Coco uh, wants to see your boobs. Yeah. Now Kong didn't want to see anyone's boobs. At least not in this cut. HBO might release the director's cut <laughs> at some point. It's going to be four hours long, and there's going to be a lot of nipples. Well. You know, we kind of, because he doesn't have, like, his kind of Fay Ray character yeah. in this. I mean, he kind of does in the form of, well, she's not really, like, a Kenny, but she, I think she's great. And I don't remember her name. Yeah, I don't remember her name either. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's bad. this little girl who's deaf mm-hmm. who has this bond with Kong, and she's the one who taught Kong how to do sign language. Yeah, she is from Skull Island. Yeah, she's, she's the, the last. last, like, native of skull island that's still alive Mm -hmm. and she is not obnoxious (laughs) yeah she but she does seem to have this like primal connection with kong like they get each other yeah she's the only good child character i can think of in any monster movie like this oh i think canon godzilla versus hedra is so cute fair enough not the dubbing though with like the the adult woman going papa (laughs) (laughs) so this whole thing about apex is they meet with Pennywise's brother about the Hollow Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's he's just some guy who has written a book. Yeah, he, and he, it's he, like, hey, you know. Yeah, something. so this is something that was hinted at a bit in some of the previous. So this whole thing is called the MonsterVerse. Um, the the series of Godzilla movies. They hinted at this for a while. This idea that like the Earth is hollow inside and has these channels, and that's how the monsters get around from place to place. They kind of go through these. And there's Apex wants to go into the center of the Earth. They want to take a journey to the center of the Earth to get something. You called it unobtainium because yeah, that's essentially what like it is. It, it's just like we need to go to this place to get this thing. Trust us, it's important. And they have this theory that Kong comes from there. And so he's going to be able to guide them back to it. But they don't do it on the pretense of, like, we're looking for something. Isn't it just about, like, Kong needs to go home? No. He doesn't like it here. It's like we want to explore it. Right. And and Kong will lead us there. 
and we get like these cute little futuristic like Akira looking hover ships. Yeah, that's something notable about this movie is like they don't give a shit about reality. And yeah, I love it. like the the initial Godzilla movie that came out in 2014, very real world. This one gets full on fantasy, right? Like, which I guess makes sense as we'll get into later, like why there needs to be such advanced technology. But it is a bit jarring when like you have mm-hmm. these scenes where. They do like the standard sci-fi stuff of like, here, I want to show you something. And instead of like pulling out a laptop and opening up PowerPoint, they're like, here's this hologram that appears. Yeah. And no one reacts to the hologram. They're like, oh yeah, the hologram. The, yeah, that's just the thing that exists now. Yeah. And so the representative for Apex that goes with the team for Kong is uh, Congresswoman AOC. <laughs> really, really good job acting in this movie. Yeah, very impressive. She's so versatile. No, but yeah, she that woman <laughs> looks exactly she does. like AOC. And and she's the this character is kind of this obnoxious character who's oh, the Oh god, she's fucking awful. The daughter of the Al Pacino um uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk guy. It's definitely kind of like Prometheus style like I'm going to send my daughter on this mission kind of thing. God, that movie sucked. Yeah, well. But yeah, they go into this hollow earth. They go through well, like this. I think this it's worth no, don't mean to interrupt you, but they do take Kong from his island to hollow earth. But along the way, they we get our first battle with Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. So they fight. It's a big battle. Some cool, cool stuff there. It's cute. There's like a whole Donkey Kong thing. Yeah, like he's jumping Donkey from Kong. platform to platform. Yeah, it's yeah. so cute. And um. You get a couple of like references to the first King Kong versus Godzilla movie, where like it starts with their shipping Kong all on the boat. Then eventually, because the boat doesn't work anymore, they fly him there by strapping him to a bunch of helicopters. No balloons. In the original one, he's strapped to a bunch of balloons and kind of just floats off. I somewhere. love that <laughs> bunch of pretty yellow balloons. Yeah, but you're right. Like after that encounter with Godzilla, they get to an Antarctica, and the little girl communicates with Kong, tells him to go home. And they follow him down into the center of the earth. Yeah, so they he takes them down. Well, they follow him down, and they go through, like, this rift that's very much out of, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, where there's all the bars of color and everything. And then it just kind of splooshes them out into this hollow earth where there's ground on the floor, and there's ground on the ceiling, too. And there's light coming Somehow. from somewhere. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, there's other monsters in there they show. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a cool idea. And eventually, so they, they're following Kong, and Kong eventually goes to, like, this, obviously, this important tower or something in there. It looks like Mount Doom. It looks like Mount Doom. It has these huge doors that are Kong-sized doors, and it's, like, really implied that, like, this structure was made by Kong, the Kong species, right? Like, yeah. they constructed this. And there are structures inside, and there's, thr- there's, a, throne, there's a throne, and so yeah. it leads you to believe that he is actually from a, like hyper-intelligent species that there may be some left, but it looks very likely that there's none. Mm -hmm. And it also seems that they have some systems in place to warn when Godzilla is around. Yeah, so this movie is not only a remake of King Kong vs. Godzilla, but it's apparently also a remake of Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Well, didn't they have stuff from those, uh, like, King Kong Raids Again, that they use some elements from that? Yeah. Or, wait, no, I'm thinking of Godzilla Raids Again. I know that there is, like, a King Kong sequel, but I just haven't seen it. There's a few King Kong sequels. That's when uh, King Kong gets his axe. Yeah, so that's a pretty... Because one of the things you think immediately when King Kong versus Godzilla is like, well, Godzilla has atomic breath, and that's going to be hard for... I mean, King Kong can basically punch, right? Like, what's he going to do here? But... Yeah, part I, of this... I wondered if they were going to try to do the lightning thing again. Yeah, which they kind of do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Kong finds this axe where, like, the axe head's made out of, like, a Godzilla dorsal fin, which mm-hmm. is cool. Um, and so that comes up later in his fight with Godzilla. But, yeah, he finds this axe that is, like, imbued with a certain amount of energy. Like, it starts glowing. I can't quite remember, but the, the they trigger something. Yeah, that... they trigger something that... Um, Gets Godzilla's attention when he's in Hong Kong. Yeah, so at this point, Godzilla's in Hong Kong, and something, like, he senses that Kong is doing something up under the earth, so he just starts blasting his atomic breath down into the ground and blasts a hole all the way down to where they are. Yeah, and that's interesting, because they had to go through this, like, weird rift and and stuff, but it's like, nah, just blow a huge hole. Yeah, and it apparently works. Yeah. 
like digging a hole from China. Yeah. It's real, apparently. Uh -huh. You can do that. Apparently. You just need a Godzilla with you. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. There's like a big scramble for everyone to leave. Mm -hmm. and there's the, these weird bird Jim Henson creatures that eat a couple people. Yeah. And it's great because AOC and her posse almost get away. And then Kong just... Uh, catches their little craft in midair and looks and sees who's inside to make sure it's not the little girl and the woman. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Yeah. And um, he just like nonchalantly like crushes it like it's an empty package of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically what this gets us to is the point where now Godzilla and Kong are both in Hong Kong. I never made that connection before yeah. I said it. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So Godzilla and Kong are in Hong Kong, and they start their huge... Basically, the last 20 minutes of the movie is this huge battle. It looks so fucking good. Oh, yeah. like the it. First of all, it takes place at night in Hong Kong, and it's got all these neon lights everywhere. It's really cool looking, and, you know, Kong is, like, jumping around and flying around the city, essentially, because he's very acrobatic, and mm -hmm. Godzilla's using his atomic breath. It's awesome. It looks really, really beautiful. And then you, you find it, you know, he's using the axe against Godzilla and he finds that Godzilla, when he uses his atomic breath on, and it, and it hits the axe, that the axe absorbs it. Yeah. And it becomes more powerful. Like it's a fucking video game. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah. There's like this boss technique of like, well, here's the weakness. You got to yeah, use the, yeah. Exactly. And like they even have a moment where they get in each other's faces and mm -hmm. they scream at each other. Yeah. And it's it's so fucking cool. And then, meanwhile, throughout all this, we have Kiara Knightley, Ricky Baker, and um, Conspiracy Man. Yeah, uh, Randy Quaid. So, in the need of moving the pot along, they go to this Apex facility some in Pensacola, mm -hmm. and somehow there's like a tunnel that goes from there all the way to Hong Kong. So now they're in Hong Kong, too, because they need to be. Well, they, they, they sneak into a shipping box yeah. that has eggs for those uh, monsters that were in Kong Skull Island. Right. Yeah, but it just so happens that this place, this facility, they've they've built one of those, like, what's the name of those type of tunnels? It's where like it's a like, hyper chamber They, they have, something. like, a hyperloop yeah. that goes straight from Pensacola, Florida, all the way to Hong Kong. So they're in this hyperloop. They That's get over really there. far. Yeah. <laughs> So they're there, but the whole reason they need to get there is Apex has another facility in Hong Kong mm -hmm. where they're building Mechagodzilla. Yeah, and I remember after we saw King of the Monsters and they took that the Ghidorah yeah. head at the end, I was wondering if we were going to get Mecha King Ghidorah in this one. Yeah, instead I we got Mechagodzilla right. powered by the... The skull. The skull of King yeah, Ghidorah. Yeah, it's interesting that they didn't like decide to use like the brain or yeah, anything. Yeah, that would have made more sense. The skull just looked really, really cool. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they were like running all these like neon tubes through and everything. It was like the ultimate gamer setup. Oh yeah, like, liquid cooled. Looked uh, great. I mean, I remember like when I first saw it, I was like, huh, that reminds me of the Tron Legacy pinball machine that we used to have at my old job. Yeah, it, it definitely looked like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's this guy hooks his hooks yeah. it up to him and he like uses it it's with like, like a with VR his, setup. Yeah, he uses it with his mind and like yeah. there's this link with this the skull with the Yeah, the idea up. is like you sit in the middle of the skull and you put on this VR headset and it connects to your brain and then it goes through King Ghidorah's skull which somehow has the ability to, it, I don't know, that allows it to actually control Mechagodzilla Just for some reason. Just go with it. Yeah. Just go with it. Yeah, I'm going with it. Yeah. I'm into it. And uh, the thing I love is that it was the stupid head. Yeah. It was the dumb one. It was the dumb one. Yeah. Yeah, so... And that's what they needed the unobtainium for. Yeah, to power Mechagodzilla. Mm -hmm. And so, at this point, Godzilla beats Kong. Like, yeah. there was a definitive winner between those two, and it was Godzilla, like... Well, before we get into that, can we just talk about, like, what Mechagodzilla looks like? I wasn't totally into the design. It's like a twisted metal, uh, like, and, and, you know, I think people who are, who are like, the CG looks unfinished, it doesn't look that good, and the thing is, I'm just like, it's just a fucking movie, get over it, you know, this yeah. is, this, it's not Scorpion King we're talking about here, <laughs> yeah. it looks better than that, if it's better than that, it's not horrible, but mm -hmm. at the same time, when I was watching it, I was like, this looks like a PS4 game. Yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Mechagodzilla design, it's a weird thing to get hung up about, but they made him too thin, he almost had, like, the, the... 
like proportions of a stick figure character. Like his torso in particular was, was like very, armature. Yeah, like his arms were huge, but his torso was small, which to me, like especially compared to the Godzilla that exists in the MonsterVerse, who's a very thick, thick lizard. Yeah, he's a um, thick boy. A very thick boy. Like Mechagodzilla looks a little less like oh, that's that's like a robot version of Godzilla. Yeah, and the thing was was that. At the beginning, people were like, what's going on with Godzilla? He just attacked this place. Yeah. And it was that they were showing that he that they have this thing that like can call Godzilla, basically. But I thought it was that... that it was like, Godzilla's acting strange. I thought it was going to be like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, where it's like, that's not yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, because in, in that, there's that scene where Godzilla's fighting Angiris, which mm. doesn't make sense because they're best friends. And Angiris... <laughs> like chips away a little bit of Godzilla's flesh and mm-hmm. it's it's metal underneath and so it turns out it's Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. Not in this case. What it is is it's building off of the logic that existed in Godzilla King of the Monsters where like Godzilla needs to be the apex monster. Yeah. And so any challenger he senses, he goes out and he's gonna fight him. He's an alpha douche. He, in he's an alpha douche. And so <laughs> he senses Mecha Godzilla and so wants to go there to beat Mechagodzilla. And mm-hmm. so that's why he's all of a sudden attacking cities. Yeah, and we have the King Kong has basically had his ass handed to him and, and Godzilla is just kind of like, you thought, and just mm-hmm. like walking away. And that's when Mechagodzilla comes in and he's just beating the shit out of Godzilla, like yeah. like relentlessly fucking him up, like hardcore. Oh, yeah. Like if you felt at all, like, because there are some people who went into this like, I'm Team Godzilla. <laughs> I'm Team Jacob. You know, and like if you were thinking like, oh, poor King Kong, that awful brute Godzilla. <laughs> like at that moment, you'd be like, oh, poor baby. Yeah. You know, because he's getting his ass handed to them, and you know that's when Kong has to be told by the little girl like Godzilla's not your enemy. That's your enemy. And there's actually a little. S- kind of subtle reference to king kong versus godzilla there mm-hmm. because the the little deaf girl she senses that kong's heart is slowing and so he's dying right and so what they end up doing is like those weird futuristic ships they use that as basically a defibrillator to yeah. jumpstart his heart which in the original king kong versus godzilla godzilla kicks king kong's ass but then he gets struck by lightning mm-hmm. and that rejuvenates him yeah so it's kind of the same idea. But anyway, yeah, you're right. The, then the little deaf girl tells King Kong that he has to help Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So he grabs his axe and he goes and, and starts fighting Mechagodzilla and too. And Godzilla sees what he's doing and he charges his axe for him. Yeah. Like he, he, like he realized like, oh, that's what that does. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool. And the thing is, is that Mechagodzilla is still... Well, and the, we have to say that Mechagodzilla was made as like a... Um, Oh, what the fuck are they called? It's like the the things in Pacific Rim. That the have, Geigers. The he, Geigers. He's a mecha, so like like we were saying before, he was controlled by someone. Mm-hmm. But what happens is after he gets re he reaches full power from the unobtainium, somehow like King Ghidorah's skull takes over and it has a mind of its own. Yeah, but what I was wanting to say was that um, the guy made Mechagodzilla because he was like. No, we have to get rid of these monsters. Mm-hmm. Don't don't you want man to be the apex predator again? Don't you want us to be able to kill the world again? Which, Not these guys? To be fair, in the course of these movies, I think Godzilla, when fighting these other monsters, has completely destroyed San Francisco, Las Vegas, Boston, and probably a few other cities. Pensacola now. like We don't need any of them. Just saying, if monsters attacking random coastal cities was a, a, a genuine threat, you would want to create that Mechagodzilla. Yeah, you can't really blame him for that. But, you know, this is a movie and it's not really happening, so I don't care. (laughs) But um, uh, basically, the day is saved by alcohol. Yeah. So always carry on you because you never know when you might need it. Because the whole thing about this guy, Bernie, who's the conspiracy theorist, is that his wife died and he always carries, like, a flask on him and he's like, says something to the effect of, if I ever drink all this, that means it's over mm-hmm. or something. And, like, there's this weird symbolism behind it. And they're trying, like, Ricky Baker. I he's going to hack into Mechagodzilla. Yeah, he th- he's going to hack the Gibson and get into it and see if they can shut it down. And, you know, he can't find the password. It turns he's not a hacker. He just, like, tried guessing the password and failed. Yeah, password one, two, three. Yeah. Password four, five, six. Yeah. 
See, what you're supposed to do is that you're supposed most people, I found, you pick up the keyboard and you turn it over. A lot of people put it on a post-it under the keyboard. But yeah. this one, it was flat, so they didn't know what to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bernie's just like, well, I guess this is it. And he yeah, starts drinking. that was drinking. his smoke if you got him kind of scene. Yeah, and uh, Ricky Baker just is like, oh, yeah, machine. And he just grabs it from it and empties it all over the computer. And it makes... Mechagodzilla short out for just a second mm -hmm. so that they can get the upper hand. And yet, at this point, somehow King Ghidorah's taken over yeah. the whole thing and he's killed the guy inside. Mm -hmm. Or at least made him brain dead. It's not clear. Whatever. But yeah, then we get a really cool scene where Kong, with his axe, just starts dismembering Mechagodzilla. Yeah, and he rips his head off. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a great finisher move. Yeah. Um, King Kong wins <laughs> yeah. fatality. And then at that point, Godzilla and Kong have kind of a weird truce. Yeah. And Go uh, King Kong drops his axe. Yeah. And we then see that like now Kong is living in the center of the earth. But, you know, not before Millie Bobby Brown just randomly runs into her dad on the street. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, Hong Kong's a small town, so it's pretty easy to find someone. That's what everyone knows about Hong, Hong Kong is that there's not a lot of people there. Yeah. And it's very, very tiny. Notorious, notoriously easy to navigate and relatively empty. I don't know. I mean, I don't like to shit all over, like, the story and everything because it's so silly and everything. But I'm just like, we could have just had Ricky Baker. I would have been okay with that. Maybe you could have gotten Sam Neill. I was going to say Sam Neill and Ricky Baker. Make it this weird, unofficial... Sequel? Sequel to Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> it was so good. Sam Neill was in a monster movie. He's been in Jurassic Park. He has experience with this. Possession's kind of a monster That's movie. That's true. See, Sam Neill would be perfect for the role. Man, if you've never looked up, like, Sam Neill's Twitter or his Instagram, you need to. It is the most wholesome, adorable <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, um, overall, how'd you feel? I mean, I enjoyed it. You know, it's easy to complain about the kind of stuff you'd normally complain about a Godzilla movie, like the human plot and that kind of stuff. But hey, it was fun. The, the monster battles were actually really cool to see, like visually. And it was a new Godzilla movie, and I'm never going to complain as long as new Godzilla stuff comes out. So I'm into it. And so ultimately, I was expecting to fucking hate it because I I didn't like the original that much because it was too dark. The 2014 one? Yeah, the 2014 one was dark and I thought Kick-Ass was a really lame-ass character. <laughs> and I don't know, I was going through a lot of stuff at the time and I just was not feeling that movie. And this time it just like, it was so much more fun. And I thought that, you know, King of the Monsters was fine. I liked this one more than King of the Monsters. And I just think that if you just take it for what it is mm -hmm. and you don't like go in with all these like grand expectations, you'll have a good time. Like just let the movie happen to you basically because it's not that horrible because I've had so many situations where I've gone and I've seen like a blockbuster movie like when they did Jurassic World I mm -hmm. went and saw that one and I saw Wonder Woman and I mean I've, I've given up on like superhero movies Except for when Robert Pattinson's going to be the Batman. I'm going <laughs> to see that with fucking Paul Dano as the Riddler. Holy shit, that's going to be so fucking good. But um, I hope. Yeah. But, um, God, I'm just thinking about Robert Pattinson jerking off in the lighthouse again. <laughs> um, anyway. So I think once you start thinking about Robert Pattinson jerking off, that's a sign that we should move on to the next movie. No, no, no. I'm not done with my point. <laughs> What I, what I want to say is that, like, I have so many times where I see, like, a big blockbuster movie, and at the time, I'm at the theater, and I'm like, I am in this. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you feel... You're just kind of absorbed yeah, from the experience of you, being in you the feel, theater. You feel something from being in there, and then you walk away, and it's like, I believe a lot of guys refer to it as, like, post-nut clarity, <laughs> where, like, as soon as you come and you're just, like... Uh, that wasn't that good, was it? That was actually kind of bad. Mm -hmm. I'm ashamed of myself for, for watching this, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's fine. I thought it was better than King of the Monsters. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Though that Rodan the coming Rodan out scene with, really with cool. that cross yeah. in the front. I was like, that was pretty cool. But I think we should, yeah, we should move on now that I have, like, Robert Pattinson jerking off in the lighthouse in my head. Yeah. Man, that was terrifying looking. <laughs> I love that movie, though. Mm -hmm. So the next movie that we're going to talk about is 
Polgasari from 1985. I just want to say right off the bat that we have owned this movie for several years and just have never watched it. I want to give a shout out to Anthony and Carly Lino who, sh- who sold it to me. So Polgasari is from 1985. It's directed by one Shinseng Uk who was kidnapped and held prisoner for three years by Kim Jong-il who then pulled him out because he figured that it had broken them at this point. And he was like, I want you to make movies for me so that North Korea can get international acclaim for their cinema. Yeah, at the time, so Kim Jong-il's father was still alive. So what Kim Jong-il's job was is he was like head of propaganda. And he apparently was a movie buff. I, I read he apparently had a collection of like 15,000 movies. Oh, he, shit. Yeah. And he thought that North Korean movies just weren't good. And he wanted to have North Korean movies to have like critical acclaim like a lot of South Korean movies were starting to have at the time. But he couldn't think of a way to accomplish that besides kidnapping a South Korean director. He kidnapped the guy's wife first, Yeah, didn't he kidnapped he? his wife and then six months later kidnapped him. And like you mentioned before, he held him prisoner for three years thinking that would like break his spirit. And then took him out and was like, okay, I want you to start making movies for me. And he actually was, while he was in North Korea, uh, which I think was close to 10 years, he he made quite a few movies for him before eventually he and his wife were able to escape while they were in Europe trying to promote a movie. Yeah, they escaped in 1986, the the year after this movie came out. And uh, he went on to have a very interesting career (laughs) that fascinates me way more than it fascinates you. This blew my fucking mind. Okay. Listeners, strap the fuck in on this one. Oh my god. Okay, so they escaped North Korea, later on moved to Los Angeles, and he started working under the name Simon Sheen. He directed Three Ninjas Knuckle Up. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. I used to rent that from the library all the time when I was a kid. So you've never watched... I've never seen any of the Three Ninja movies. It's about these white kids and their grandpa is Egg Shin from Big Trouble in Little China. (laughs) It's fucking nuts. And okay, so he directed Three Ninjas Knuckle Up and he was the executive producer for Three Ninjas Kickback, which was the one that I watched all the time. It takes place in Japan. And uh, High Noon at Mega Mountains. The one with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's so fucking crazy. Yeah. So he goes from being a prisoner in North Korea to making the Three Ninja movies. What a life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he got out so the, so the kids of the 90s could get Three Ninjas. Mm-hmm. Going back, I'm sure those movies aren't that good. But at the time, oh my god, I would... I would give up like anything to watch those movies so it's just like okay you can either watch three ninjas kick back or we can go to the park yeah it's like, i'm watching fucking three ninjas right here man sit the fuck back dude. Uh-huh. oh my god mm-hmm. yeah i had that on uh, vhs for a very very long time nice I remember that I rented Three Ninjas Knuckle Up from the library so much that eventually they asked me like they asked my grandmother do you want to just buy this for her <laughs> you're the only person renting it yeah i was the only person <laughs> renting it but she was like oh no because it was gonna be like twenty dollars yeah. or something it's like no 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 but yeah moving on this movie is not so extremely on the nose but it it is it's communist propaganda yeah i mean that was apparently part of the idea with Kim Jong-il kidnapping him like he wanted him to make movies that were better Mm -hmm. which at the time apparently a lot of the movies were just totally blatant on the nose communist propaganda you know he gave him a little more leeway to make movies that weren't so on the nose but of course can't get too far away this is North Korea after all yeah no and uh we found out that Toho Godzilla's Toho yeah House's Toho Uh uh-huh uh, was actually tricked into doing the special effects for this movie. Yeah, apparently they thought they were making a movie in China, only to find out they were making this movie for North Korea. And the so Polkasari the Monster, which it, it uses the uh, man-in-the-suit kind of technique mm-hmm. that you get in a Godzilla movie, is actually the actor inside the suit is a guy who played Godzilla during the entire Heisei series. Mm-hmm. And previous to that was... Hedra! Hedra! And Gigan. 
Yeah. So, like, there's, in addition to being a knockoff of Godzilla movie, it actually has Godzilla in it, which I don't know how many Godzilla movies can say, uh, Godzilla knockoff movies can say that. That's fucking incredible. Because, yeah. I mean, when anybody talks about Paul Gasari, it's like, oh, it's this Godzilla knockoff from North Korea, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that's actually the fucking Heisei Godzilla yeah. in that suit. Mm-hmm. It's fucking wild. Yeah. I guess at this point we should just get into the plot. Sure. And as, again, spoilers, but I mean, it's Paul Gasari, so you could, you know... Who yeah. cares? Mm-hmm. So basically the plot of this is that there is this greedy king and he um, has his forces go to this blacksmith and like his whole crew and they're like, hey, we stole all these farm utensils. Yeah, all these farm tools from the local village. We want you to make weapons out of them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but they these are like cooking pans and stuff. These people need these to live. And it's like... Uh, they need a strong country first. Mm-hmm. They can eat later when we've won everything. Yeah, so there's, you know, the head blacksmith who's kind of like the the wise guy. They all, not wise guy, a wise guy, not a wise guy. Uh, the wise man that the whole village looks up to. Yeah, and he, everyone calls him uncle. Everyone calls him uncle. And he uh, sneakily gives all the farmers their equipment back because he knows they'll starve without it. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the the local governor is not happy with this and imprisons him imprisons him and his crew yeah because there's this whole thing about how a lot of the people in his crew are thinking about leaving because like to be bandits in the mountains yeah, like there's because of the corruption of the government there there's apparently these bandits in the in the mountains who are trying to rebel against them yeah, and so they are all thrown into the prison as well, and um, they aren't feeding the blacksmith, and therefore his his guys are refusing to to take strike. any food until they feed him, and it's this whole very sad thing to see like this like horrible like prison labor camp sort of place, and he's in prison for a while, and he creates this like little golem. Like, not action figure. <laughs> a golem, but not a golem. Golem. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But, the, yeah, he creates this this little statue of this little monster, and he makes a dying wish on it that, you know, it will protect the village. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, who has been trying to get food to him and has been, you know, doing her best to just try to be with her father and getting pushed away... Uh, she intercepts this little doll. Yeah, well, after he dies, she gets the doll, and then she's sewing some yeah. <laughs> some like garment or something like that, and she accidentally pokes her finger and gets some blood on the little doll. And the the second the drop hits it, it wakes up, uh-huh. and it is the cutest little thing I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, it starts out it's like an inch and a half tall. Yeah, and they have like big. Things yeah, around there's it to a guy. In, yeah, there's look a look really small. There's a guy in this like cute little suit, and they have like large spools of thread that are his size. To... So cute! <laughs> I can't stand. It's like the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh, it's like uh, the borrowers or like yeah. Arietti, but it's a little monster. It's a little monster, it's a little and, baby. and immediately we find out this monster eats metal. Uh, metal. And because it starts eating the needles, it eats the needles and then it eats the lock on the door. Yeah, and worst as, security ever. And as it's doing this, it keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. So at more metal eats, the bigger it gets. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Metal is shit. Mm-hmm. And then so yeah, as it keeps eating metal, it grows and it helps the people because it has like this connection. You know, it has this um, sort of attachment to the blacksmith's daughter. Yeah. It, it'll do what she says and will always try to protect her. Yeah, there's like great footage of it walking the countryside like on a screen and there's people in the foreground yeah. looking at it going, Pogasari! Yeah, they, and, they and, do like the rear projection thing. Yeah, yeah and the way Pogasari walks is like a... Like, you know, you ever go to like the mall kind of like early on in the day and you got the women who are walking around and they're, they're like pumping their arms mm-hmm. and stuff like like he walks like a mall walker. Oh, yeah. And I love it. Like just like arm up, arm up, arm up, yeah. arm up. It's like really, really adorable. <laughs> I think Paul Gasari is super cute. <laughs> 
So the king's army makes several attempts to kill Polgasari. So they try to, they put him in a giant cage and set him on fire like he's the wicker man. Yep. And uh, they dig a huge hole. Yeah, and bury him. Yeah, they try to bury him. Like, like they go through all the really obvious stuff. Like, like I can't believe when they dig the pit, it's like, we'll put some leaves over Mm -hmm. it. And when he walks over it, he'll fall in. Yeah. And then we'll put marbles all across the floor, (laughs) and then he'll slip and fall. Mm -hmm. And then we'll throw a paint can at him. Yeah. It's on a a rope. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we'll cover him in honey and throw feathers on him. We'll throw bricks at it. Yeah. Ultimately, none of this stuff works. They even say, like, we have created the ultimate weapon. Mm -hmm. It is a cylinder filled with explosives, and it will take him down in a second. And it turns out it's a fucking cannon. Yeah, and it also doesn't work. It also doesn't really work that well. Yeah. Like they show the king like a prototype of it, and it's like a uh, handheld mm-hmm. one, and it just he's like, "This is a really nice cat statue," because mm-hmm. it's like a little ornate thing. And yeah, it doesn't work. And then Polgasari just basically crashes into the palace and steps on, like literally steps yeah, on he, the king. He, yeah, he he crushes the king with his foot. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, with very little effort on his part, just decimates the entire army in the kingdom and like destroys everything there oh yeah he just walks through it like it's a bunch of fucking cobwebs in a haunted house yeah just just like eh. but then eh. interestingly the movie's not over the movie's not over and plus i just want to say that they do a lot of like what you would usually expect in a monster movie where you'd like yeah they have like the rear projection thing and it's like they they show him with like walking next to small things mm-hmm. or they just shoot him from Miniatures the ground going stuff, yeah. they shoot him from the ground going up so that he looks really really tall but they also made a gigantic foot there's one large foot that whenever the character has to interact with him He's always he's, laying he's always down. like laying down or sitting down, and they're just like hanging around his foot. Yeah, and I love that whenever he's laying down, because the eyes move. Like the 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 costume is good. Mm-hmm. It's a good costume, and the eyes do move normally, but they kind of look like um, Minya's eyes a little yeah. bit. And so, like, and, and like his eyes will be like half closed when he's lying down, and they'll be, just be like talking to him, like, "Please, Pogasari, I beg you to do this," and he he just looks like. Oh, God, will you let me fucking sleep? I'm mm-hmm. so tired. And they're just like, I implore you, Pogasari. And they lean on his foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really funny. But yeah, he, he kills the king and the movie is not over because uh, man's got to eat. He's still hungry. He is still hungry. Like uh, little Otik from the Jan Svankmeyer movie. Yeah. He must eat more and more and more and yeah. more. To the point where the the farmers, you know, this all started with the farmers losing the tools. The farmers start offering up their tools for Polgasar to eat because they're like, well, he saved us. We got to feed him. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this is very upsetting for the blacksmith's daughter because they're like, well. That's what my father died for. This is what this was all about. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up tricking Polgasari into eating her. Yeah, she, um, there is like one bell left. Yeah. And she, um. She rings the bell and crawls up inside it. And Polgasari goes over and is like, that looks like a tasty snack. (laughs) And he pulls it out and he starts uh, eating the bell. And, you know, with her dying wish, she prays that Polgasari dies with her. Yeah. And he he finishes eating and then there's like this, oh shit, look on his face. And then he disappears. He, he He crumbles. Oh yeah, he crumbles. Yeah. Interestingly, I read somewhere that some people think that might have been like a hidden message from uh, the director, Shin Sankok, mm-hmm. uh, that the idea of where, there, because worth noting, like, obviously we were saying like, it's not on the nose, but this idea that like, well, there's this corrupt government and the the, mm-hmm. the farmers, the people, they're going to rise up. Yeah. You know, that that's, you know, some communist propaganda stuff. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, maybe it was a hidden message there that, after the revolution, it turns out that Polgasari, who in this case would have been Kim Jong Sung, mm-hmm. uh, was actually just as bad as before. Yeah, maybe uh, that'd be interesting if he was yeah. able to sneak that in. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense because I remember actually being like kind of surprised that they showed that like after Polgasari gives them what they want, it's like, oh, he's actually like a total burden and is going to kill us. Yeah, it turns out it's not any better than it was before. No. 
Yeah. So that's interesting. The world is a very upsetting place. <laughs> yeah. But Pogosori, I mean, there's some notable things about it being a monster movie. I've certainly seen worse monster movies. Yeah. But the I... most notable thing about it is, of course, its origin story. Yeah. And just the story of its production and what went into it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's worth seeing just because Pogosari is so cute. <laughs> Especially when he's little, like when the one guy is on the chopping block and is going to get his head uh, he's gonna he's gonna get beheaded, and then all of a sudden Polgasari just jumps out and over and is like man, and mm-hmm. just like tatches onto the scimitar and eats it, and they're like he ate the whole sword. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. Yeah, little Polgasari is very cute. Oh yeah, that's what Minya should have looked like. He kind of little Polgasari kind of reminds me of Godzilla Junior in uh, Godzilla vs yeah. Space Godzilla. And you know what? Everyone hates Godzilla Junior. Mm-hmm. I think he's cute. He is cute. And you know what? The little fucking King Ghidorahs are cute, too. (laughs) Do they make plushies of those? I don't know. I want one. Yeah. I have to make one. Yes. I don't know. I've seen so much fucking Godzilla stuff. They've got to have one. I'm sure. Now, here's the question. Are there any Polgasari plushies? I doubt it. Probably not. I feel like if you make Polgasari stuff, there's a good chance you might end up at a labor camp somewhere. Yeah. That's a fair point. But yeah, that was uh, Polgasari overall. Like, do you recommend it? I think if you like monster movies, I'd recommend it. And then also just if you're interested in the story surrounding it, it's yeah. worth checking out. Is There's a documentary about it, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I think it's called The Lovers and the Despot. I haven't watched it, but mm. I definitely am interested now after seeing this movie. Yeah, it. I think it's an interesting watch. There's quite a bit of it that's pretty boring, but if you just like... I don't know, watch it when you're eating or something, and then just, like, really focus on your food at the boring parts or something. You can skip through the parts where Pogosari is not on screen. Yeah. I think I'm, like, divulging a little too much about, like, how I watch movies. It's like, (laughs) oh, just eat your dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I say check it out. I think maybe, you know, check out Godzilla vs. Kong first and then see (laughs) how you feel. And, I mean, if you're, like, really hardcore into monster movies, like, go ahead and watch it. I think it's worth seeing, especially, like you said, for the history, the story behind it, and its implications and complications and all the other Asians. Mm -hmm. So that was the first episode of uh, Ghouls Only Cast Fun-Sized. Yeah, like a Halloween candy. That's why I named it that. (laughs) I am working on Perfect Strangers right now. It's taking me way longer than I expected because uh, there is no information on it whatsoever and i'm still trying to make it interesting so i'm having to like pull from things that aren't that movie and um it's taken me a little bit but i'm hoping that it won't be horrible for like all 30 of you that listen to it but yeah thanks for listening to this i'll be doing this um probably a a bit more frequently than uh the other one the Mm -hmm. main one the important one Stay tuned, and I'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining me, Connor. Had fun. Thank you. I'll have you back on soon. (laughs) All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to Ghouls Only Cast. Lightly written, produced, and hosted by me, Meg. Music by Dan Lucas. Follow me on Instagram at Ghouls Only Press. You can support this podcast by supporting my shop, ghoulsonlypress.com. Stay cool, ghoul.